Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna jump right in. Sometimes I start into a text and I think I'm gonna find a sermon and I find a series. And, uh, but we only have time for a sermon. So buckle up, pay attention. Uh, I'm gonna give you information that if you apply it will lead to transformation. I think what God wants to say to us today really is the key that takes your Christian life from potential frustration and stagnation to like fruitfulness and transformation. And so just, just heed what I think the Lord is saying to the church today. This is like following Jesus 101, a framework I want to look at in Matthew 13. We're going to pick up last week, Pastor Don did an awesome job preaching the hardest part of Matthew 13. Thank you, sir. Uh, he, he taught us, though, I love that word about how, how weeds can become wheat. Any weeds that are becoming wheat here? Uh, if you don't think that, you need to read your Bible. That's, that's all of us. Uh, but I want to get to a very famous a uh, parable that Jesus used, the parable, for those of you who don't know, is a story that Jesus told. He made up uh, as like a, a work of art and illustration to help you see something you weren't seeing before. The word parable actually means to lay alongside. And so it's to give us another perspective on something we might have been missing. And today really gives us a lens into Life of the kingdom, like I would suggest nothing else does. It's called the parable of the sower. It's very famous. I've never actually preached on it until today, and I'm excited to share what I have. So it tells us in Matthew 13 that Jesus was in the town of Capernaum. I visited there just probably eight weeks ago. Uh, saw the ancient town of Capernaum, and he was staying in Peter's house. And you could actually visit the foundation where Peter's house exists to this day. Uh, and it tells us that the crowds gathered so plentiful that he had to leave the house and he went down to the shore, which is about 100 yards from where Peter's house was. He was a fisherman. And he got in the boat and just pushed off maybe 20 yards from the shore and everybody gathered around on the beach in a kind of a natural amphitheater while he taught a, a, a litany of teachings and parables. And today we get this one. I want to read the parable of the sower. It says, he told them told him many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Get this picture in your mind. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Picture the crows chewing your lawn up right now. <laughs> Any grubs? <sighs> some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would we understand what you are saying to us today? Would you open our eyes, our minds, our ears to receive your word, would you help us today? In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Uh, a handful of weeks ago, maybe six or seven weeks now, I bumped into my childhood friend Matt, goes to the church here. Uh, we, were, we were coming, I was leaving the gym as he was coming in. We, we both are 
loyal members down at Good Life here in Quispam Sis. As you can tell, I spend a lot of time there. Uh, I was coming out, we kind of bumped into each other. We're childhood friends. We, we spent our whole lives together. Our dads were in the, the most awesome southern gospel singing sensations called the Gospel Airs, if anybody. Yeah, anyway. Uh, but we grew up together and we got chatting about, we both turned 40 this spring. We got talking about, okay, now is the time. We got to keep our fitness up. We got to make sure because we're going to get old fast. So we need to like stay ahead of the curve. And I was like, we had a good time chatting. And then I left and I was driving up Hampton Road and something occurred to me. Matt and I are the same age, grew up similar lives, have same values, wife and kids. We both go to the gym. We both value our health. We both do a lot of the same things. And yet he has way bigger muscles than me. Like, why? Like, wh how can two guys share so much in common and even be doing largely the same thing and have such wildly different results? Have you ever noticed that to be true? Maybe, maybe for you it's not working out or fitness. Maybe it's just, just like dietary. Maybe you're, you, like one of you in your marriage can eat something and it's like moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips. And then the other one, though, can eat whatever they want and doesn't even matter. It's like, just why, how can these results vary? Have you ever noticed this in life? Like two people can be doing largely the same thing and have the same vision and hope and intention and yet have wildly different results. You might have seen it in your place of work. Maybe you have the same career as a colleague and you make largely the same paycheck and yet one of you seems to have way more money than the other. How are the results varying so much? There's a wide range. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe you and your spouse got married in the same year that some other friends got married and you guys are actually still happily married and flourishing and the other couple that also said they do and also said they were in love and also wanted to have a healthy marriage don't have one anymore. How is it that results can vary so much from person to person, couple to couple? Why is that the way it is? But it is, isn't it? And I've found it is this way in our Christian walk particularly, that two people can both experience Jesus, can hear the word of God, can attend the same church, can sit under the same preaching, under the same ministries, have the same opportunities, be part of the same community, and yet one is producing fruitfulness and transformation and the other is staying largely the same. Why is that? This past week, I spent uh, six or six days in London, England. I got out of there before the coronation. It was getting wild, but I was at a, I was at a conference for Alpha Ministry, which we're very invested in part of. And uh, during, during the time we were there, the, the conference was held at Royal Albert Hall. It's this beautiful theater, incredible, 5,000 people there. It was beautiful. Uh, but in the hallways surrounding the seating area of Royal Albert Hall, they had pictures of famous people that had been there or performed there. And I walked multiple times past this one picture. I took a picture of it. Of, I don't know if you know who these guys are, but that's Johnny Cash and Billy Graham. Two very different people when you think about their lives. However, they had a lot in common. These two were very close friends, lifelong friends, in fact. Their wives were like besties. They did vacations together. Now, some of you, if you know who these guys are, some of y'all are too young, Google it. But 
But Johnny Cash was like a rock and roller, a musician, and he, he lived a hard life. Like he struggled with depression and addiction and anxiety. I mean, that guy was up and down and up and down and in and out. Like he had some hard times. And now Billy Graham, for those of you who don't know, maybe you're new to the faith, this guy, with the exception of probably the Apostle Paul and Peter, is the greatest evangelist for the gospel of Jesus that has ever walked this earth. He shared the gospel with millions of people and God graced his life. And not only did he walk in anointing, but he had this integrity and vitality and fruitfulness that was unanimously testified about. Presidents and kings and people who don't even believe in Jesus would all say, that guy's special. There's something about the quality of his life that's just unusual. And I thought, as I walked by and I was meditating on this scripture we're going to look at, that popped out at me because here you have two guys who both believed in Jesus. In fact, Johnny Cash accepted Christ earlier than, than Billy Graham did. They both believed in Jesus. They both had a vision of seeing Jesus, you know, save their lives, get them to heaven someday, all that stuff. And yet, this guy struggled with his demons for the bulk of his life. And this guy walked in a victory and a vitality and a fruitfulness that all of us would say, I wish I could walk like that. Why is it that so often you see people's experience with God vary? I've seen it at the church. You'll, you'll see one person come in and their life like a plant. It's like they come in and God deposits life in the soil of their heart. And you see this like just these shoots of new life start sprouting out. You see somebody being transformed, their character's taking new shape, and they're having a gentleness about their spirit, and there's a difference in their perspective, and their mind is being renewed, and they're slower to anger and a little more quick to be merciful, and you're starting to see this beautiful transformation. How many of you have seen that before? Maybe in your own life, you look back on a season. But I've also seen how it's possible to come and be part of a church like ours, and for decades... Still be largely the same dead creature you were when you first heard about Jesus. Why is it that results can vary so widely when it comes to our lives? This is at the heart of what Jesus is getting at with the parable of the sower. He's diving down because this is a problem that all of us face in the totality of our lives, and it probably takes no more pertinent shape than it does when it comes to us expressing and walking out our faith with Jesus. Jesus gives us this parable because it gives us a lens and insight into why some of our lives just don't take shape or bear fruit the way that we'd hoped or the way that Jesus promised it would. And he gives us insight as to why. So he tells us this parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And now fortunately for us, he gives us these first few verses about the parable. And then his disciples had a hard time understanding it. So they come back to him and they say, hey, can you dumb it down, doc? Can you tell us what this means? And Jesus gives them clarity and he breaks it down for them. And I want us to spend just a few minutes getting a lens for what he's talking about. So Jesus explains the parable of the sower. Let's, let's look in. Are you with me? You up for this? This is a sermon to take notes on and to meditate on and chew on in your life. This is a lifelong lens kind of sermon. This isn't uh, you're going to get punched in the face and repent. This is a moment today where you're just going to get a framework that is going to help change your life. And Jesus gives it to us right here. So let's, let's look at it. Jesus explains and he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom 
and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Remember when I read it earlier? The seed sown along the path. And he says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. You remember when I read that first part? It says, it had no root and the sun scorched it to death. Then he goes on, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So let's just unpack this picture for a minute. Jesus tells us there's a farmer. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scattered seed. Now, the farmer is not the point in this story. We aren't told who the farmer is. It's anybody who scatters the truth of the kingdom of God. And he uses the term seed interchangeably with the word of God. Now, if you've been around church, you know that the word word means something to us. The word word means the truth of God, what God has said in the Bible, but also what God is saying by his spirit, which never contradict one another, by the way. The word of God is most importantly fulfilled in the person of? Yes, you're in church. The answer is 99.98% of the time, Jesus. Jesus actually is the embodied living word of God. So when we're talking about seed here, Jesus is telling us the kingdom is like seed sown, given, lavishly. The word is seed. So it's about seed. Let's get a little bit more though. He dives into specifically the conversation not surrounding seed, but soil. He talks about four different types of soil. Three bad soil that led to frustration and stagnation, and one type of soil that leads to life, that leads to fruitfulness, that it leads to actually a crop yielding 160 or 30-fold. Now, you think about this lavender plant I have here. One seed produced all of this fruit, produced all of these flowers. All of this lavender came from one seed. And Jesus is comparing the life of the kingdom to a seed, the word of God to a seed that when it takes root and it gets the chance to do what it's designed to do, it produces fruit. And this isn't the point of my message today, but I think I need to just speak it prophetically so that you get this because there is, a, there is a liar in this world known as the devil who is trying to convince you that God does not want fruitfulness and vitality for you. Can I just tell you today on the authority of God's word that Jesus came and died and rose again and gave us the Holy Spirit so that you will bear much fruit. That this gospel we believe isn't just that Jesus died to gain us entry to heaven. He died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit so that he could get heaven into us. And that as the word of God gets into us, our lives begin to transform. And maybe you've seen a little bit of it. Let me just say, for those of you who've seen some transformation, praise God. Let me say this over you. There's more. 
He actually wants to bring more fruitfulness, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what was sown. And I've been at this long enough and following Jesus long enough to know I'm I'm not a finished product, but y'all, I am virtually unrecognizable to how I was, say, 20 years ago. Transformation is real and the fruit of the Spirit is real. It is possible to walk in fullness and flourishing joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things are real and they cannot be bought or acquired at the supermarket. It is the byproduct, the natural fruit of the Word of God implanted in a life, given the space to do what it does. Free sermon right there. Someone needs to hear that. Like, let me just say, like, the the fruitfulness of your life is not going to be found on Instagram. It's not going to be found in your career. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Real fruit, real lasting, everlasting fruit comes through the word of God implanted in a life. Amen? Amen. But then Jesus tells us, and he's trying to help us because this hits us all in different seasons and in different ways, he dials in to the, this conundrum that we all face, and that is we can all want fruitfulness. We can all even believe that Jesus is the way to fruitfulness, but yet not experience the full totality of it. Many of us, in many ways, look more like this. And so Jesus tells us the reason for that, and he gets into this conversation surrounding soil. And it's important that you note here, and let me just say this. If you are not flourishing, it's not because the seed is inadequate. If you are not being transformed, the issue is not God's. The issue is not the word of God. Jesus says the issue is the soil. Now, what's he talking about when he talks about soil? Did you catch it? No, it's not the seed. The seed is the word of God. But he says... Soil, the seed was sown in there. Uh-huh. So the soil he's talking about is your heart. What is your heart? It's not, it's not that fist-sized muscle inside of your chest that Jesus is referring to. He's referring to your being, your passions, your inner drives, your longings, your trust, your will, your hope, that is your heart. You know what your heart is. Companies know what your heart is. They're trying to pull on it all the time. Our heart is, is the, our innermost being. And this is what Jesus is saying is soil. And it comes down ultimately, get this, and I'm going to break it down for you. Are you still with me? The fruitfulness of your life as it pertains to walking out your faith comes down to the quality and management of the soil of your heart, not the potency of the word. The word always does what the word always does. If you read the Bible, it says like God's word will accomplish what it sets out to. That it always produces. Like it can't help. How many of you know I could plant a lavender seed and a thousand times out of a thousand it's going to make a lavender plant. It just does what it does. And the word of God is the same way. It does what it does. And Jesus is trying to open our eyes to understand something. The reason every Christian life is not equal. What do I mean not equal? I mean by way of flourishing and transformation. Let me just say, 
I know, like, we live in a culture and your mom told you that you're awesome. (laughs) But every Christian is not the same. There are levels to this stuff, and there are varying degrees of Christ-likeness and fruitfulness in the life of a believer. And all you have to do is hang around and be part of a community long enough to see it. And Jesus is telling us that the word always does what the word always does, but all soil is not equal. And there is something that can hijack the fruitfulness and vitality of the kingdom in our lives, the potency of the word. And Jesus gives us three ways that happens. Three types of bad soil, which is robbing your life. Do you want them? Okay. First one is this. Bad soil number one, note takers, write it down. If you're not a note taker, become one. Bad soil number one, the hard place. He talked about seed, the word of God, sown or thrown on the path. The path, the place where people had been walking and trampled down the dirt. So this was an impenetrable path. Now here in Atlantic Canada, A lot of us don't have any sort of equivalent for what this looked like in Israel. Uh, Here we get a lot of moisture. We get a lot of rain. We don't get a lot of prolonged heat. But in Israel, where they get months without rain and they get scorching heat, I actually walked on some places where this was true. The footpaths they have, their, their, their ground is so hard, it's almost like a brick. And that seed is as likely to penetrate that as it would be to be thrown on cement. It's the hard place. It's the packed down, trodden place. And Jesus is exposing a problem that robs us from experiencing the word of God and seeing the fruit that comes with it. And here it is. The problem of an unbelieving or indifferent heart. It's hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness prevents the word of God from getting in and doing what it does. Look what he said. He said, the seed sown along the path is anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. Uh, a, A translation for understand could be receives it. They reject it. They dismiss it. There's a variety of ways that we don't receive it. We, re- we don't receive it through offense, maybe through ignorance, maybe through just ignoring it, maybe indifference. There's a variety of ways that we can do it, but it boils down ultimately, Jesus says, one of the primary reasons we aren't experiencing the vitality of God in our lives is because the seed never got in there in the first place. Now, obviously, that affects people who are non-believers, people who are agnostics or maybe even atheists. Ultimately, what Jesus is trying to do is to penetrate their hard hearts with the truth of the gospel. And how many of you can remember before you were saved? Hopefully all of you. Does anybody remember, maybe you were saved as an adult, like later in your years, and you'd had some time for your heart to grow cold and hard. Do you remember how resistant you were at one time to the word of God? And this is what can happen in our lives. That, that path can get very worn. It's interesting, too, if you get into neuroscience, how those paths get worn, too. And how those thought patterns can continue to repeat themselves. And you can grow a resistance to the Word of God without even knowing it. Hard-heartedness, just treading down that unbelief and that dismissal of what is actually very logical. You know, it's interesting to me, and I always find this when I talk to atheists, 
because I'm a believer and I can't unsee what I have seen, I always hear them like having, a tr- having trouble with faith in Jesus. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm not a person of faith. And literally I'll hear them flip around and like they don't even understand how substantial the faith system they've built to explain away design. Has anybody ever noticed that talking to maybe a non-believing friend? It's like out of, out of one mouth they'll say, oh, you're silly for believing that stuff. And then out of the other side of their mouth, they're talking about things like that, you know, the world just made itself and the universe just happened. And like there's just stuff that they're believing that is wildly improbable. Anybody notice that? And so on the one hand, they're, they're hardened of heart to the things of the word and then they're soft-hearted to some wild claims surrounding the cosmos and their lives and the universe. It's, it's crazy when you have that conversation. Last week, actually, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, went, we went into the Museum of Natural History in London. Really cool. Dinosaurs and all the stuff and the big Darwin exhibit. And honestly, I have no issue with Darwin or even evolution. That does not hijack my faith at all. I don't care if God created it by just going poof or if he started it with a cell that evolved. It doesn't matter to me. However, I have my opinions that I think some of the theories of evolution are a touch far-fetched. In fact, we went through one exhibit that was called The Evolutionary History of Human Beings. And it had like a little monkey skull, and then it had a gorilla skull, and then it had this map that said 700 million years, and then it had a human skull. And I thought, wow, what a 700 million leap of faith people are taking. (laughs) Right? And it's like, okay, Darwin, I believe, you know? And it's like we have this capacity in us. I, I use this illustration to say, for some of you who maybe aren't believers, you're, you're doubting. Doubt your doubts once in a while. And ask yourself, do I not have the capacity in me to blindly accept th- some things as true, to, to remain soft-hearted to some stuff that's quite frankly lunacy, and simultaneously be hard-hearted to the things of the Word of God? And so that's how that affects people who have yet to find faith. But Jesus, get this, church, don't, 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 I don't want to lose you. This parable is not just about someone who goes as a non-believer to believer. How many of you know that after your first conversion, your life becomes a series of day-by-day, hundreds of thousands of many conversions of the heart? That's what following Jesus ultimately turns into. Like new revelation and new obedience and new submission to the authority and goodness of God in our lives. And it's very possible, let me say this, it's very possible for us to have hard hearts and simultaneously say we believe in Jesus as Lord. And there are probably a lot of areas in your life, just like my life, where you are hard-hearted and you are ignoring or rejecting or not believing or understanding the word of God and it's being pecked away by the birds of the air. For instance, last week, my wife, in love, said to me, uh, I was, found myself complaining a lot and grumbling for some reason. I was just in one of those moods. I'm a pastor. I'm just a guy, too. I get cranky, y'all. And I was just cranky, and I was venting my anger a lot. And my wife said, you are starting to sound like a grumpy, cranky old man. <laughs> to which I grumbled back. But I was, I was walking, however, and the Lord impressed a verse on my heart, a, a word, Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives vent to their anger, but the wise man holds it back. 
And I felt the Lord draw this parable to mind and say, ah, you're open-hearted to some of the things I have to say, but you're pretty close-hearted to others. You either believe my word and receive my word and understand my word or not. And so I say this, and I use this analogy because it's true of you too. Don't judge me. It's you too. We have hard areas of our heart that need to be softened to the word of God to receive it. Otherwise, Jesus says, the birds of the air come and take it away. What are the, what are the birds of the air? Powers and principalities of darkness, demons. Do you know that Jesus believed in demons? Jesus believed in the devil. Pastor Don talked about it last week. It's really important sometimes to not snicker at things that Jesus actually very literally believed in. And he's telling us that if the seed doesn't get past your hard heart, what happens is the enemy comes along and takes it away and, and pulls it off. And so how, really quick, how do we soften our hearts? Because that's the question. How do you make your heart softer? Well, here's some good news. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to access your heart, constantly working on softening your heart. And he will use lots of stuff in this life to till that hard, crusty old soil, won't he? Anybody followed Jesus long enough to know? Man, he's got all kinds of plows around my life that's constantly uprooting and digging up that crusty old dirt of my heart. But there are a few things that you can do and we can do that keeps our hearts tender to the word of God. Here's a few ideas. Just this is bonus material for you. Three ways to soften our hard hearts. Number one, the ultimate soil softener of our hearts is beholding Jesus. What do I mean by beholding him? I don't just mean talking about him. I mean meditating on the truth of the totality of the gospel. Do you know that the gospel penetrates your heart like nothing else? Like when you start to consider that God, who is so rich in mercy, looked upon us while we were yet sinners, and yet he crossed the expanse of the heavenlies of earth and time and space and time, and he put on flesh. He became so lowly, humbling himself even unto death on a cross. When you start meditating on how loved you are, on how just and merciful God is, when you start to, like Paul said, grasp how high and how far and how long and how wide the love of God in Christ Jesus is, it starts to blast away the cement and hard-trodden areas of your heart. That's why you need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. It's the ultimate shovel for your heart. Reminds us what is true. But also, here's another way to till the soil of your heart and soften your heart. Believing Jesus' words. There was an old song, uh, not the one I started my sermon with. Shake another hand, shake a hand next to yes. Uh, there's another old song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. That's, do you know that that is, it sounds very simple, but that is like a varsity level Navy SEAL truth for Christians. There is just life when you learn to trust the word of God and you come to this place where you realize I don't have to understand it to agree with it. I don't even have to like it to agree with it. 
There is life and liberty when we start to realize your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. You get to say what is true, and I'm just going to trust and believe it. Y'all, I went through a season of my life in my uh, mid-20s. Very common. A lot of you are in that right now. A lot of you have been through this where I deconstructed a lot of things. Some of that's healthy. Some of that you need to do to get down to the root of what you really believe. However, if you go too far in the deconstruction thing, which some of you maybe are facing that right now, what happens is you will inevitably arrive at, do I believe the Bible is authoritative or not? And I started to whittle my faith away down to where I was trying to explain away miracles and I had a naturalistic view of the Bible. And it started to uproot my whole faith system. And I came down to a climactic moment. I can remember making a decision. I'm either going to toss this whole thing and walk away or I'm just going to say there's some stuff I don't understand and I'm going to believe it anyway. And I decided to say I believe the Bible is true. I believe that it's the authoritative, flawless, inerrant word of God and I'm just going to adopt a I believe attitude. And that began to change my life more so than any other season of my whole life. That was, that was a, like a starting point where I chose to just believe. I made a decision of faith. Last thing that we can do to soften our hard hearts is learning the pro tip of simple obedience. Quick obedience. How many of you know that the longer you ignore God, the easier it gets to ignore God? Anybody? Are we honest in church? Yeah, it's, it's the hard path. Daily saying no to something he asked you to do, it just tramps down your resistance what that does. And so one of the ways we keep our hearts soft is by just saying, yes, Lord. Quickly, yes, Lord. I will, Lord. Yes, I will, Lord. Simple obedience. Okay, that is the hard place. You got clarity? You realize there's hard places in your heart? Yes, there is. And those things rob the word of wanting to do what God wants to do in your life. Second place. Are you still with me? Number two, the rocky place. The rocky place. This problem is the problem not of a hard heart, but the problem of a superficial and or immature heart. An immature heart, superficiality in our faith. Look what Jesus says. He says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they, they last only a short time. Let me highlight that. For since they have no root, they last only a short time. The NLT says no root in them, within them. So Jesus now, and this, this part is both troubling and also very easy to spot in our own lives and in the lives of others. I have seen this literally hundreds of times in my life as a pastor here at King's Church. I've been here, I'm now in my 18th year serving at King's Church. And I have seen hundreds of people come to church, hear the gospel, respond with joy, Jesus says, and new life and fruitfulness and vitality starts to happen. Like it's real. There is a joy they're experiencing, a hope they'd never had. They're walking in the grace and forgiveness of a God who saved them and forgave them of all their sins. It's real. It's vital. It's meaningful. It's powerful. They're on cloud nine on fire. I have seen it hundreds of times. And inevitably, there will come a moment in their journey with Jesus 
where their faith will be tested and those feelings will not be there anymore. And how they respond in that moment will dictate what kind of life they experience. And I have seen hundreds of people that after some time, Jesus says, after a little while, even though it was received with joy, after some time, three months, six months, 12 months, five years, there will come a season of suffering and hardship and trial. And because they have no root, the whole thing gets uprooted. They were not built to withstand real life. And here's the thing about following Jesus. Jesus not only came and died and wants to build your life that's able to withstand real life and the temporary struggles we go into, he wants to build your life in such a way that is everlasting. Like talk about, like he wants your life to endure in such a way that will never wither or fade away. Isn't that wild to think about? And Jesus is giving us a clue here as to why so many people and so many situations this happens where people fall away. Why? He says it. Why is it? Because they have no, no root. So the issue here is that there was soil. The seed got in. Growth started to happen. Yet, because their faith and the seed of the word did not drive down deep enough, it did not have the strength or rigidity to be able to withstand a difficult season. And I have learned, church, that Jesus loves us enough to actually let us go through pressure that forces our roots to drive down even deeper in him and forces our surrender and the submission of our heart to go deeper in ourselves unto him and that when that happens and the roots drive deeper, I have learned this, that the deeper the root, the greater the fruit. And Jesus actually wants you to produce more and more fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, but it doesn't happen unless your roots learn to drive down deep. And the number one reason so many people fall away is they adopted a superficial faith, a faith that is not anything more than temporary therapeutics for their life. One sociologist called a lot of people's faith moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's not actually Christianity. It's this way that we, we believe in God, deism. And we believe that he's righteous, and so we have this moral framework that we try to do the right things to make God on our side, and he will help us in our lives. And it's appropriate to come to God for help. He wants you to come to God, come to him for help. However, if the depth of your life is only what God can do for you in that moment, you will fail to have roots that produce everlasting fruit. And so he will lead you into difficult seasons so that your roots will drive down into the unseen places where there is a surrender and a trust that goes beyond the temporal and goes beyond the transactional where you learn to trust him. Do you know that the most powerful prayer I think I've ever prayed after Jesus, I give you my life and come Holy Spirit is probably, God, I'm mad at you and I don't like this. But I'm not going anywhere. I, I will go to my grave clinging to you. 
yet though he slay me, I will trust him, is perhaps one of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray. In 2021, uh, that was a dark time for all of us, wasn't it? Most of us. Some of you are like, that was the best year of my life. Well, shut up. Um, <laughs> most, of us, most of us, it was tough. Uh, don't, don't shut up. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Most of us, it was a tough one. And it was a tough one for me. And I was out for a walk with my dog in January of 21. Pro- I was at the lowest place of my life. Um, and I, I was listening to a sermon. I, I saw a sermon. I found one online of Tim Keller, one of my favorite Christian thinkers. And the sermon was called, How to Deal with Dark Times. I was like, yes, please. And uh, he preached it at Holy Trinity Brompton, the church I attended last Sunday in London. And the sermon was based out of Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. Go read those when you get home. If you want a real buzzkill, oh man, they're dark. Like literally, there's no like anything other than just anger to God. Like I'm just mad about my life and this is dark. And he preached on that and he got talking about the, the, the way that God will lead us into these dark times. And he's like, has it ever occurred to you that some of those angry places in the Bible are there because God wants them there, because God wants to deal with us at rock bottom? And that he doesn't ignore it. Like God didn't see the book of Job. And he's like, well, that can't be in there. It's like, no, leave it in there. Because I want to bring my people to a place where they trust me even though they don't understand me. And they trust me even though they don't like what I'm doing in the moment because their faith has got to drive deeper than just temporary seasonal faith. And it's got to drive deeper than just a quick fix transaction TikTok faith. It's got to go deeper and be rooted, like Paul says, rooted and grounded in love. And I'm walking with, behind my dog listening to this sermon, and he said something that just arrested me. And it was, a, it was a turning point that changed my prayers into, God, I'm not going anywhere. And, and Keller said this. He said, our lives get transformed. They're transformed, and the devil gets defeated when we come to the place where our relationship with God is no longer just transactional. Where we serve him not just because he's good, which he is. Not just because he wants to save us, which he has. Not just because he wants to give us good things, which he does. But we serve him because he's God. And we just trust him. And our eyes are fixed on something deeper than just things in the natural and our RSP and our finances and our relationships and how we feel on any given day. Our, our faith drives into the unseen world. It's the kind of faith that Paul's talking about. I remember preaching this sermon in 2021 at my, my Aunt Janet's funeral where Paul talks about, look, our faith and the faith that Jesus wants us to have is driven into deep places of the heart, into unseen places where we don't lose heart even though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly in our heart, in the secret place, we're being renewed and transformed. That soil is, is soft and it's making new life, even though outwardly we're wasting away. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Some of you might be mad at God for these light momentary troubles and they're the very thing that are achieving for you. Like, hear that. It's actually achieving for you a glory that will far outweigh them. These struggles God turns into gifts in the long run. So because of that, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Y'all, this is, this is the real stuff. 
Jesus wants to take you to a place in your life where you can handle the heat of the sun and you can handle some months of drought. And in fact, you've learned in those moments to drive your trust and your faith in him deeper, knowing there's gonna come a moment where the rains come and I am going to drink deeper than I ever have before, producing more fruit than I ever have before. That's what happens. I mean, coming out of 2021, I came into a season of renewal deeper than I've ever done before. Why? Because my roots went deeper. My trust went deeper. My, my obedience went deeper. My love for him went deeper. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. And this is why some of us never get very far. It's because we get offended or our roots never get beyond transaction and something will change in your life. You're like, oh, I don't need Jesus anymore. I'm good over here. Or something will happen and you think that God broke the deal between you and him. And you think, I've been being good and this is how you repay me. And off you go. But if you will just press beyond your disappointment and beyond the problems, Jesus said, problems of this world and persecution, if you'll just push through either of those things, there is a new life on the other side of it. So let me just say over some of you, there's a reason you're not experiencing the fruitfulness that Jesus promises, and it's because your roots aren't deep enough. And you might be in a difficult season right now, and you think, I want to get out of it, and that's a fine prayer. Ask God to deliver you, but more than that, ask him to develop you and to transform you the ways he's trying to do. Listen, there is an invitation in every affliction and every burden has a blessing attached to it. And he will not waste that season. Last place, last place, I'm almost done. Bad soil number three, the thorny place. The thorny place. Jesus talks about some seed sown among thorns. And this problem is the problem of a divided heart. That's either Jesus coming back in glory or there is a whole fleet of Harley Davidsons going by right now. <laughs> I feel like it's the Harleys, but <laughs> Lord, we're ready. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that online, but it's like the whole place is rumbling. <laughs> the thorny place. The problem of a divided or distracted heart. This is the last thing that will destroy the life of God in you. And that is seed that fell among thorns. And it tells us that some seed got sown and it, again, produced life. But that new life was stunted and thwarted and ultimately choked out because it was sown around other things that were aggressive. And they, hear me on these words, they outcompeted the word. They actually outcompeted the word in the heart of the believer. And so one of the reasons we don't experience the fruitfulness and the vitality that Jesus has in mind is because we let the word get planted in a place where there's also thorns. And what happens is thorns will always outcompete fruit. I have two trees in my backyard. Do you ever see like how plants can actually rob one another? I have two trees in my backyard. They're planted at the same time by the same guy. They're the same type of plant, both maple trees. And they're about 10 feet from each other. Some of you, some of you are like, well, there's your problem. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. But anyway, one of them is probably 25 feet tall. And I, I have to trim that sucker back all the time. It just, just, it's just flexing. 
The other one is shorter than me. It's like five foot something, and the poor guy is just struggling. Like, there just isn't enough soil and nourishment and water for the both of them, and one of them has just been crowding the other one out. And this is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to the Word of God in your life. A lot of the time, again, it's not the problem of the, the seed, and even some of the soil did its job but the problem is your heart is divided and there's other things in there sharing the same space that is supposed to just be occupied by God. This is why he says, seek me first and all else will be given to you. It's like the right prioritization of who gets the deepest places in your heart. And this is why so many of us don't experience the vitality and fruitfulness of God in our lives. And Jesus told us, like, you... You can't actually serve two masters. How many of you have noticed that's really difficult? It really is, and our hearts are deceitful too. We can think we're serving Jesus until the test comes, and then we see where our real trust is. But Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one or hate the other. You can't serve both God and money. Or the, or the word for money in there is actually mammon. Mammon was an ancient demon that was a, like worshipped, like it was control ultimately. And money is just a means of control. And he's saying you can either look to God to trust or you can look to your wealth to trust. But you can't do both. You can either trust God as your provider or you can trust your money or your job as your provider, but you can't do both. This is why tithing matters. Every time I tithe, I break the back of mammon. I say, God, I would very much like to have this 10% back. But this is a test of my trust and is a test of my heart. How many know it's not about the money? It's about the soil of your heart. It's a test, and it breaks the back. Like, I know when I give my offering to God that I have done something that punches mammon in the face. And it says, nah, God is my provider. Can I, can I do more with 90? Yes. Or with 100% than 90%? Absolutely. But can God do more with my 90 than my 100? Oh, yes. And so Jesus says, this will choke out the life of the kingdom. He gives, he gives us two quick things. Remember, he said, the cares of this world, the cares of this world will choke out the kingdom in your life. Uh, he doesn't define what the cares of this world are. Did you notice that? Why? Because it can be anything. What can choke out the life of the kingdom? Anything you put at a deeper level inside of you and of deeper value than the king and his kingdom and his word. So, so your kids... Your money, your life, your, your car, your, your stuff, your legacy, your spouse, your well-being, your health, your opinion, your right to be right, social media likes, your travel plans, your home. All of those things can become cares of this world, which if you're not careful, if you let their roots go underneath the roots of the word, it will choke out the life of God in you. Seek first the kingdom drive him deeper. And then he says the deceitfulness of wealth. You know that greed is the only sin that none of us think we struggle with. It is. Because you don't realize you're being greedy. You don't realize how deceitful your heart is after wealth. And he says that will subtly choke out the kingdom. So hear this word today. There is good soil that produces fruitful life. 
But there are three bad soils that will choke it out. But the good soil Jesus promises will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. If you're, for you note takers will be mad I didn't show this slide. Here it is. Understand not the problem, but the power of a receptive, deeply trusting heart. This is the type of soil that the Word of God will absolutely flourish in. When your heart is submissive, receptive, trusting, the Word of God goes in there and fruitfulness and vitality comes out every single time. And this is what Jesus said, 30, 60, 100-fold, it will yield a crop. And this is what God, this is, this is your destiny and your birthright, that you would bear much fruit, that you wouldn't struggle with the old hurts and hang-ups and habits that you've been bound to your whole life. He died and rose again and gave us his spirit and the seed of his word so that you'd walk in freedom, not bondage, so that you'd have understanding, not confusion, so that you'd have foresight, not just be living in hindsight, so that you would have hope, not despair. All of these things belong to you. The question is, does the seed have space to get into your heart and produce the fruit he wants to? Let me wrap up with this. I went for a walk in London by myself and I asked God, okay, this is a great picture, but like, what do I do with this? How does this all boil down? And here's the word I felt the Spirit impress upon me. I'm going to give it to you. Son, the key to life and all that I have promised is yours. The key to abundance and joy in every season and everlasting life and the key to Christ's likeness, all of it, is learning to push what is in my heart deeper into your heart. Just hear the word of the Lord. Ultimately, it comes down to what's on his heart being pushed deeper into your heart. And I felt him say, son, the, the challenge is you have to sign up for a daily cultivation process. And you got to realize that, Brent, your heart is a garden filled with good soil and hard places and rocky spaces and thorny places. But if you will allow my word to get the good soil in your heart and you will let me, the gardener, start to uproot the thorns and remove some of the weeds and take out the rocks, if you'll let that happen and you'll soften your heart and stretch down your roots you will bear much fruit. I felt him speak this into my spirit. Soft heart, deep roots, much fruit. Soft heart, open to his word. Deep roots, deeper than the rock places, deeper that, that, that actually the roots are touching the rock. Much fruit. Soft hearts, deep root, much fruit. Soft hearts, deep roots, much fruit. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. We say today, your word is true and your word is life 
and your word is freedom and your word is eternal and your word is light that the darkness cannot overcome. Your word is a new beginning and a happy ending. Your word is peace. Your word is righteousness. Your word is mercy. Your word is the fruitfulness of life that all of us so desperately long for. So with the help of you, Holy Spirit, would you help us, your sons and daughters, learn how to create, how to designate and consecrate the good space in our heart for your word. Show us, God, places that we have become hardened of heart and help us soften the soil of our heart. Show us, Lord, areas where our faith is too superficial and help us dig our trust in deeper in our dark season. And for the one who's in that season today, Holy Spirit, would you encourage them with the truth that you're not gonna waste this and you're drawing their roots in deeper to give them greater fruit on the other side. And Father, I pray today, would you help us have an undivided heart to put created things in their rightful place behind the Creator. Would your word go deeper than anything else? We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of King Jesus who got this right and helps us. Everybody said, amen, amen.